Lord God, we thank you for your word. We ask you to give us understanding as we consider it today, Lord. Open up our eyes and let us see you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, last week I spoke on John the Baptist, his message and his ministry, how he did it well, preparing the people for Jesus and pointing to Jesus. In the gospel lesson today, the droves of people began flocking to Jesus instead of to John. John's ministry had never been about John, of course. It was always about Jesus. But I suppose the people who told John in the passage that we read that everyone was now flocking to Jesus didn't realize that John's ministry was actually coming to an end. Perhaps these were his disciples who had thought that they'd have many more years with John, who had been the biggest thing in Judea for some time, as far as rabbis go. But John was glad that everyone was going to Jesus. That was God's plan all along. And that also meant that John had done his job well. John says those words about Jesus and about himself. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That was the case. John would soon be put into prison for calling out the sin of Herod. And after that, be executed. Jesus didn't save John from that. And Jesus does not always save us from the trials and the disasters of this life. And that's a tough pill to swallow. But Jesus is with us through all of it and nothing happens without God's permissive will. And his will always has a good purpose behind it. And that's what I want to speak about today. The bottom line for everyone in this world is Jesus must increase and we must decrease. Our psalm today, Psalm 126, is one of my favorite psalms because I can relate to it. I'm much more of a manic depressive than my wife is and that's why I can relate to this psalm. I'll, I'll explain. Whenever I read today's joyful psalm, Psalm 126, which says, when the Lord overturned the captivity of Zion, then we were like, like those who dream, then our mouth filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy or singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Whenever I read that psalm, my mind always goes back to another psalm, which says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked us for a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How shall we sing? 
the Lord's song in a foreign land. My mind goes back to that song because those were the same people. Those were God's people. Joy always comes after sorrow and suffering for God's people. And often, the deeper the sorrow and suffering, the greater the joy later. Well, captivity of any sort is devastating. When it sets in, all hope is dashed. But it is never the end of the story for God's people. In Psalm 137, the voice of despair told out, even bitterness and cursing. It always does when there seems to be no hope. And there seems to be hope, no hope when captivity takes hold of us because one's focus is upon the captivity. That and the regret of one's past mistakes and sins that may have contributed to captivity. One also sees the overwhelming strength of the captor. But there is always hope in Christ. Hope springs eternal when our Lord is the God of the universe. And that's the case. And that hope was presented to the people of Psalm 137 in the prophetic word of God through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29 of his book, the book of Jeremiah. In it, we see that it was the Lord who had caused his people to be carried away captive in the first place. The Lord's people had bound their own souls in sin and God just made that reality more practical for them to understand, so to speak. By causing them to be carried away captive, he gave them a vivid illustration. It was to cause them to repent of their evil ways and to seek him and pray. Probably the most difficult part was that they were told by God through the prophet Jeremiah that they would be captive there for 70 years. Imagine how that would feel. That was a lifespan. That meant they would be captive in Babylon for most of their whole life, for all of their whole life, for many of them. Most would never return to their homeland. So how could they even be consoled? Well, they would have to change their focus from their former life and former land to the present. They would have to change their focus from their present captivity and their captors to God, their deliverer. And God told them this through Jeremiah, the prophet. He said, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may increase there and not diminish. God's people had to focus on getting on with their lives and, and growing their families, not on the used-to-be's. 
and they had to seek peace and to pray for the city that they were held captive in instead of rebelling against it. And that would have been a tough one, but God said that. He said, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. And then he said this, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return. Well, think about that. That scenario reminds me a bit of, of the homes on Aboriginal land in BC that people who built them live in and lease but don't actually own. It's just a contract that has an end date. And then what? Well, nobody seems to know, but at least here in this scripture, God told them what to expect. He told them what would happen. They would return to their homeland, the land that they loved, that God had given to them. They just had to focus now on what God had told them to do and what God had told them to focus on. And that was seeking him, praying, knowing that God's plan for them was good and growing their families. Because God's plan was not just for them and their generation, it was for their children and their children's children and their children down through the ages. It was for all of them. And God said this, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But they had to focus on God's plan and God's goodness, not their own. And God went on, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now in our times today, in our context today, it's a different type of captivity. And there are all types of captivity, of course. There are illnesses, physical and mental. There are fears that keep us in captivity and anxiety. There are past and present failures and guilt that comes with those failures and guilt that comes from our sin. And these days, there's also a certain virus that is holding us all in captivity. You know, my farm, which was such a burden to me a year ago, suddenly brings me joy because it's the only place where I'm not reminded of the ongoing captivity of COVID-19. There I have freedom to roam around with out a mask and I often forget uh, the reality of 
COVID-19 until I get in my car and go out. It's hard for me even to come to church with a joyful heart these days because I feel restricted uh, wearing a mask, my, my breathing, my glasses fogging up, and, and my having to project my voice. It all fatigues me. I had enough trouble preaching before all that. And besides all that, when I come to church, I want to come and, and fellowship freely with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to see your smiles. I want to sing praises to God, and I can't do that. I want to rejoice in communion with God, and, and instead, I'm just reminded that I can't do that in the same way that I used to, the way that I like to, and that makes me annoyed and even a bit resentful, even though I still know that it is God's permissive will for a good purpose. It's just that it doesn't feel that way. Why do I have to suffer? Why can't I celebrate? Well, we will in time. It is hard for me to imagine what it must have been like for my wife, uh, Maria, who, who grew up in the communist bloc, growing up in a place where, where she couldn't study what she wanted or travel where she wanted. You know, being me being raised in the West, that's just unacceptable. Live free or die is the slogan on the state of the New Hampshire uh, car license plates. And if you don't understand why Americans, many Americans don't want to wear a mask or to isolate, well, think about that slogan for a while. You know, if that was uh, the slogan or the, the way that the people in the communist bloc thought, restrictive socialism could never have happened. It's understood by most in the West that we can do whatever we want as long as it doesn't interfere with someone else's freedom. We can do anything and go anywhere if we are willing to work hard enough to go for it. We look at ourselves as free and we love it that way. And that's why it's extremely hard for us when we become captive one way or another, even if it is our own failing bodies that begin to hold us captive when, when health, not means, becomes our, the, the limiting factor. To rejoice, therefore, in captivity, whatever the type, is very difficult. We want to rejoice when we are liberated. And there is only, only one way to rejoice when we are still in captivity, and that is to look to and to have faith in our deliverer. The Lord is our deliverer, and he is the only one that can overturn our captivity. And we must look to him and his past deliverances when we feel captive by anything, and we must seek him. And if you are God's child, his plans are good for you. His word promises that, whatever your captivity, God is good, and he loves you, and hears you, and cares for you, especially in your captivity. 
but you have to get on with life. You have to get on and seek Him. Get on and focus on Him and His Word and whatever He has next for you. Don't focus on your past. Don't focus on your captor or on resisting the captivity. Make the best of it. Focus on your deliverer. And if he tells you deliverance will not be in your lifetime, then focus on his kingdom and your legacy with that in mind and keep living. Do that and God will listen to your prayers for peace. All captivity that God's people experience is meant to cause us to seek him more diligently so that he may reveal his goodness and his good plans for us. What did Jesus say to John in prison? He said this, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Matthew 11, 4-6 You know, I love the words of Isaiah 126, beginning at 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with songs of joy. He who goes on his way weeping and bears good seed shall doubtless come again with joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Those words are not easy for us to understand today, even for me, uh, a farmer in the past. I planted many acres of seed, but I never planted any that I remember while weeping because I always had an abundance of seed and I always had machines to do the planting with. Why would one weep planting seeds? Well, one would weep when seeds were scarce and when labor was hard. Say you were a farmer back in Bible's time, back in the Bible times, and you didn't have a, a great harvest the year before due to drought or something else. You did harvest some grain and you sold what you could. You dried what remained and, and kept it to both plant in the springtime and to feed your family over the winter. But winter was long, so you had to ration your food in order to have some seed left to plant in the spring. And when spring came around, you know, your kids are hungry, but you take what grain you have left, instead of feeding it to your children, you use it for seed. You put it in the ground, weeping, rather than feeding it to your hunger, hungry children. And doing that, you give up what you have in hope for the future, that in good time, in due time, God will use what you have planted in sorrow 
and increase it so that you will have enough to feed them and it will be all worth the tears of that burial you will rejoice in an abundant harvest what is it to sow in tears for us well it can simply be carrying on in sacrifice and being faithful with the lot that God has given you looking to Jesus and it's not easy in this life of uncertainty if it were there would be no tears this type of of sowing in tears is a life of faith that believes that there is God's good purpose in suffering and that good things will eventually be produced by it Jesus said unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it remains alone but if it dies it produces much grain John 12:24 we must believe him we must believe him and offer to him all that we have the Apostle Paul's life was one of the best examples of this he had his trials but he focused on the treasure of great worth he focused on what he had received and shared it with others that treasure that Paul had received was the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ he understood the mystery of sharing that with others through the weakness of his own physical body in the passage we read from him he says this but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us we are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed we are perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying about in this body the dying of the Lord Jesus well why for what reason he tells us that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body that's why uh, we go through suffering that's how we reveal the supernatural it says for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh that's how life is born in others that's God's plan we believe and therefore we speak Paul says knowing that he who raised up the Lord will also raise us up with Jesus that's what our hope and our faith is all about as Christians in this life we 
like Paul, are hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and dying. But Paul says that for us Christians, there is purpose in all that. And that purpose is that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Well, how is that done? It is done by the miracle of us not being crushed when we are hard pressed, not being in despair when we are perplexed, not being forsaken when we are persecuted, not being destroyed when we are struck down. In our suffering, there is always the hope of deliverance because our deliverer lives and he loves us and has a good plan for us even in the darkest times. And so we press on. And in that, the supernatural manifestation of Christ comes to others. Those who are watching us, even though we don't realize it. Paul goes on, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So God, his kingdom and his people must be what our focus is on in these times in order to go on and in order to do his will when we are in any sort of captivity. And God and his kingdom are invisible to us. So we must act in faith and not by sight. When we seek him in these times, he promises that he will be found by us when we seek him with our whole heart. And this is the purpose for these times, not just the manifestation of of himself to others through us, that's part of it, but it's also that we will seek him and find him in our captivity, whatever it is, as we wait for him to deliver us. Let's pray. Lord God, it's so hard for us to do what, um, what your word says, what, what I preached on today. It's so hard to accept suffering, Lord, um, as your will for us, Lord, when we go through it. But we can see it in, in your word. We can see that it was your will for your people in this time, Lord, that they might turn toward you and seek you with all their heart, Lord. And we know that deliverance came uh, for them as we read about that too and lord we know lord that you had good plan for them and that you have good 
planned for us and that deliverance will come. But in the meantime, Lord, may we use this time of suffering to seek you with all our hearts, because that's what you promise. That's when you promise to be found by us, when we seek you with all our hearts. So help us to do that, Lord, that we may grow in you and grow in knowledge of you and, and also grow into you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.